morning, everyone. Like Pat said, my name is Bryce, and I love food. There are a couple of reasons for this. Growing up, um, dinner time especially, was a valued time of family fellowship. That meant even if we needed to wait till nine in the evening for everyone to be home from their various activities, we would hold off on dinner until then in various states of crankiness, but then we enjoy the food together. Another thing is, you might, might know or might not know that I'm one of eight children, so when you are splitting food 10 ways, we also don't throw away food. There was just, it was not okay to waste food. And so we also valued saving things, saving leftovers, and you know, getting the most out of what we had. Now, when I ended up moving off for college, I took these values with me and I assumed everyone else has these same values too, right? So I ended up having a roommate during my first year at college, and um, we decided that we would share meals to cut down on meal prep. And I thought, this is going to be wonderful. We'll wait for each other, have these great times of fellowship, and we'll both have plenty to eat. Now, a few weeks later, I ended up making a huge pot of soup um, because I'm used to cooking for 10 people and thought, I'll eat off this for a week and there will be plenty. So later that week, I came home from a busy time of study and work, just really hungry, and came home and opened the fridge looking for that egregiously large container Tupperware of soup. There was nothing in the fridge at all. As I look around the kitchen, I find that container of soup sitting in the sink. Half of it has been eaten, and the rest has been dumped in the sink and left for me to clean up. Everyone, the amount of anger I felt <laughs> over that soup, looking back, is embarrassing. <laughs> I was furious, um, but I did not want to, complete, to appear completely insane, so I took a moment, took a breath, collected myself, and realized that my roommate probably grew up with very different values around food than I did. So once I um, stepped out of the temporary insanity and back into my calm mind, we found a time to talk with my roommate and figure out some better boundaries around how we lived life together so that we both had what we needed when we needed it. And the rest of this year was so much more smooth for both of us after we had that conversation. Now, this is a comic example, but it demonstrates the reality that people can be hard to deal with. People have different values from us, different backgrounds, and different ways of communicating. There are different ways we can respond to this. First, we can retaliate. This is ridiculous. Who would ever do life that way? Another response is to retreat or to cancel the person. I'm just, I'm not going to be around them. Another response is to be nice to their face and then talk poorly about them behind their back. Now, none of those are suggestions. Those are all not great examples. But we have to ask the question, how do we deal with conflict? In this passage that we read today, Paul is addressing Christians who lived in fellowship in Rome. And apparently there were arguments that were leading to conflict. Christianity has been a part of our culture for centuries, so a lot of the values of Christianity are well known. But we have to remember that in first century Rome, Christianity was brand new. And so you had Jewish believers in Rome who 
um, had certain ways they believed in the God of the Old Testament, and now they believe that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. But they're trying to figure out which Old Testament laws still apply, and which ones have been filled in Christ and we can step away from them. On the other hand, you have Gentiles or non-Jewish people who would be the majority in Rome who are turning from pagan religions and are accepting Jesus as their Savior and Lord. You have Jewish people saying, hold on, what kind of weird beliefs are they going to bring in that will mess up following Christ? And you also have Gentiles trying to figure out what they should and shouldn't do. And there was conflict. And into this messy relationship, Paul steps in and he writes by praying. And he prays for unity in Christ. We've been focusing on the prayers of Paul. And we'll see a prayer he prays in the midst of conflict. And Paul says that since God encourages us to live in harmony, we should glorify God by welcoming one another. Now, this prayer has three main parts that we'll focus on. First, Paul prays for endurance. Next, Paul prays for harmony. And then third, Paul prays for God's glory. First, let's start with Paul prays for endurance. Now, the Christians in Rome were on each other's nerves. And Paul prays right here in verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So when someone's on our nerves, we should pray that we can endure and bear with that person and walk alongside them. Now, what were these failings of the weak that the strong Christians had to endure? If we back it up a little bit to Romans chapter 14, we see that the strong group and the weak group were talking about a few different values but they were mostly talking about food. In the ancient world, what you ate was a big deal. For Jewish believers coming up who grew up with Old Testament law, many of them would only eat kosher foods with the idea that you would dishonor God or demean yourself if you eat something unclean. Now, for those Gentile believers who were coming from pagan religions, there were many um, religions where you would sacrifice a meal to an idol, and then you would eat the meal together to please a god or goddess. And so many of these Gentile believers might be wondering, ooh, should I avoid all kinds of meat just in case it's been sacrificed to an idol as I'm distancing myself from my religious past? And we see that people are arguing over the right ways to deal with food. And Paul comes into this argument not with a list of here are the right foods, here are the wrong foods, but instead, he prays that we would keep first things first. He prays that we would glorify God and love one another. Through his, pair, excuse me, through his prayer, Paul shows that this argument about food is not the most essential thing about our faith. He shows that in chapter 14, the strong were those who recognized that people could eat basically any food and still love and honor God. He doesn't specify if this group is Jewish people or Gentile people. It's likely some of both who have accepted this freedom in Christ, that with this common faith in Christ, people from all sorts of backgrounds with all sorts of diets can come and worship and honor God. Now, the weak were those who thought they needed to hold to strict diets to honor God, and everybody else is wrong. Now, Paul gives this helpful principle that we can apply to conflicts in our own lives as well. 
In Romans chapter 14, verse 14, he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Let's break that down. First, Paul shows that he, had, he as a strong Christian, sees that no food is inherently unclean. Christ has given freedom when it comes to rituals or what we eat. And many strong Christians are claiming this freedom and not worrying about exactly how they're preparing meals. However, Paul does clarify, if you still think it is not right to consume a certain thing, you shouldn't do it. If you're convicted something would dishonor God or degrade yourself, avoid it. And now we come to our chapter, chapter 15, verse 1, where he says that the strong should bear with the weak. So if a Christian does feel confident in the freedom he or she has in Christ, whatever category that might be in, we should rub it into another Christian's faith, into their face. He says in chapter 14, verse 15, he says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So we should consider others and be kind to them, not running someone down when they're still figuring out their stances. Instead, we should pray for patience and live in consideration of other people's weaknesses. An example of a friendship where this consideration is shown is actually in the story of Charlotte's Web. If you have read the, you may have not uh, read the book or seen the movies, but it's a story set on an American farmyard with um, main characters being the farm animals. And you have the very young pig named Wilbur who starts up an unlikely friendship with a spider named Charlotte. And at first, this very young Wilbur sees the spider as beautiful and wise and the older mentor in his life. And then Charlotte catches a fly in her web and she wraps it up in her webbing. And Wilbur asks, what are you going to do with the fly? Do you, are you going to eat it? And she says, oh, no, no, I don't eat it. I drink its blood. And Wilbur is mortified. He says, please don't do that. Just eat vegetables the way that I do. And Charlotte tries to explain to him, I'm, I'm not built for that. This is the only way that I can eat food. But Wilbur is still horrified. And so Charlotte, as the older, wiser person in the story, says, look, I'm going to hunt at night. I usually do anyway, and I'm going to eat at night so that while you're asleep, I can get what I need, and I won't bother a beautiful display of consideration and friendship. And this is what Paul is putting on display for our lives as well. This can apply in a number of different ways, not just to food. Um, for instance, one person that I thought of is I have a friend who grew up in a Muslim household. And now as an adult and as a Christian, he once shared with me that he is just not comfortable worshiping in a church service where the congregation regularly kneels. I was really surprised by that, but he said in his own mind, it is really difficult for him to differentiate between kneeling to God in worship and bowing to Allah. So my first reaction could be to point to a bunch of scriptures where people bow down to the God of the Bible and say, don't be stubborn, it's fine. However, if he is convinced in his own mind that it is wrong to kneel, I shouldn't compel him to do that. Instead, if he is walking in obedience to God and he is worshiping at a church that faithfully teaches the Bible, I'm not going to break fellowship with him over the subject of kneeling. Now, other subjects might come to mind for you when you think of people that you might have conflict with or differences with. 
You might be frustrated that other Christians in our life are highly selective about the books or movies they enjoy. That cuts out some things that you enjoy or have gained value from. You might be bothered by certain ways that people use their Sundays, whether they're highly restrictive about what they do or whether they do anything and everything on a Sunday. There might be times where we feel tension with other believers because of their mode of baptism or certain ways that they worship. However, I want to encourage you alongside Paul to keep first things first. If both you and the other Christian are loving and following Christ, don't attack each other about certain types of daily practice. Instead, bear with each other and love one another. Now, if it's hard for you to know how to bear with someone who you have conflict with right now, pray for that endurance. Paul prays for the Romans and for us in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Now this brings us to our second point. Paul prays that we should live in harmony. Now what does this harmony look like, especially when we have conflict with others? Now this phrase, live in harmony, can be more literally translated to, to think the same thing among yourselves. Now, this is not groupthink. This isn't, okay, I'm going to give up all of my convictions and just go with whatever the group decides. Paul shows in this text that believers are still going to disagree with each other on certain matters. But what Paul is saying, the focus is to unite around common faith in Christ as our Savior and Lord. Paul also shows what our demeanor should be towards others who are different from us. If you back up to verse 2 in chapter 15, Paul says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. When we disagree with others, it's easy to just want space. I'm not going to say anything, and I'm just going to keep my distance. Paul does not call us to distance. He not only prays for us to endure, he prays for us to live in harmony. And that means actively engaging in relationship. Now, a great example of living in harmony with other believers are our joint services that we have with Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Now, our two, two churches are different sizes. We're in different areas of the city. And we have different focal points when it comes to how we engage with our community. And yet, we are aligned in our doctrine, in the gospel, and in fellowship. When it comes to services like Ash Wednesday or Good Friday, and we gather together, our churches join together to worship God. And that's not only shown by those of us sitting in the pews, but those who read scripture, those who preach, are from both congregations. The musicians on the worship team are from both Redeemer and from Fountain Square, creating literal harmony as we worship God. Now, these beautiful times of worship show separate congregations building one another, one another up and seeking to please one another. What are ways that you can build up believers that you know? The first thing you can do is pray for them. Conflict drives us to focus on others as a problem. That's the person who disagrees with me so hotly about fill in the blank. But if instead I pray that God would bring harmony between me and the other person, I'm no longer thinking of the other person as the problem. Instead, I'm actually looking for peace. 
God opens the door to unity as we pray for it, and we become open to reconciliation. After praying, the second thing we can do is reach out towards unity. Perhaps you know someone who hasn't been back to church since the pandemic. Encourage them to sit with you on a Sunday so that they don't have to come back alone. You may know Christians who have a vastly different political um, conviction than you do, and they have a lot of convictions and beliefs tied to their convictions. Here at Fountain Square, we have people who would tend to vote Republican and tend to to vote Democratic, and we worship together. But if there's an individual in your mind that you've experienced a lot of conflict with, I encourage you to think about, oh, if that's defined your relationship, have the two of you ever had a conversation about what you share in common when it comes to Christ? Perhaps you know other believers at other churches that have a vastly different style of worship than we do, and some of them you, give you pause. Let's not start with those differences. Instead, let's join with other believers in our common love for and dependence on Christ. When we focus on the fact that we serve the true and living Savior, our differences become secondary as we recognize God's supremacy. This brings us to our third point, which is Paul prays that we would glorify God. So why go to all the trouble of bearing with someone and seeking to live in harmony with someone else who's so different from me? The reason is to glorify God. Here's Paul's whole prayer in verses five and six, if you read with me. It says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus in all things should be God's glory. Now, growing up, I actually thought it was strange that the ultimate reason God acts in history is for his glory. To me, that sounded kind of selfish. You're telling me that everything in history, the good and the bad, ultimately is to bring him glory? I thought love wasn't supposed to be self-focused. But then I started paying attention in scripture to what things actually bring God glory. In this very passage, Paul prays that stronger believers wouldn't harass or demean the weak. Can you even imagine a culture where the powerful are patiently waiting for and caring for the weak? Wouldn't you want to live there? Paul also prays that we would live in harmony rather than fighting over our daily practices. Don't you want to live in a world where we have peace among our neighbors? What brings God glory are things that are good for us. That doesn't mean easy for us. Enduring with someone who's really different from me is hard work. And yet, it's so good to work together to reach a place of unity. And that brings God glory. One group in history that I thought about that worked together to bring God glory were called the Clapham Sect. You may recognize the name of the head of this group, William Wilberforce. He and a team of abolitionists worked together for decades to end slavery in the British Empire. The people in this group were vastly different from one another. Leaders from both political houses had greatly opposing views to most politics, but they ended up working together in order to pass laws to 
end slavery and ban slavery in the British Empire. William Wilberforce's spiritual advisor and pastor was a former slave trader and a key member of the abolitionist group was a former slave. Now, while members in this group had vastly different backgrounds and political views, they shared the same faith in God and the belief that all people were created in God's image with dignity. They brought God glory by working together to care for those who are mistreated throughout the world. Now, working through conflict with others is tough. It's easier to avoid hard people and just hang out with those who think and act like us. But God has called us into a global family that honors a lot of these differences. We share the same father, and we were brought into the family of God by Jesus, who we can now call our brother. God called us even though we were in conflict with him. Now, remember, we were separated from God. We had conflict with God because of sin. Now, we think we have it bad when we disagree with another Christian. As hard as that is, when we disobey God, we are spitting in his face, even though he's the king of everything and a king who loves us. We disobeyed him and pretended that we are in charge. That's what happens whenever we sin. We are saying that I get to call the shots and God does not. Do you know what it's called when we try to replace a government authority with your own authority? That's treason. And among human governments, the penalty for treason is death. But God, the king of everything, does not give up on us. This God of endurance kept loving us, kept instructing us in his word, and eventually sent his son to save us. Jesus died for us, paying the penalty of treason, and instead, he gave us credit as if we were faithful sons and daughters of the king the whole time. Jesus died for you. He also died for the person we're struggling to get along with. Let's welcome those who are different from us. Let's seek their good. Let's bear with one another. And in this way, bring God glory. Let's pray for the strength to do that now. God, we are thankful for you. You are the God who brings peace in places of chaos. And you are the God who has showed us such love. What you have called us to, this ministry of reconciliation, is one that you did first. You bring us close to you. You have forgiven us through your son and brought us into fellowship. Lord, help us to show this love to the people around us. We can't do it on our own. We need your strength. We ask that you would empower us in the name of Jesus to love one another despite our differences and care for one another, always pointing each other towards you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.